What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with the third part of our three-part mailbag that felt like it dragged on forever, but kind of in a good way because I had so many questions and I committed to answering all of them. And so we're going to get what was left or some of the last-minute ones, the stragglers that came through, get them out uh, and answered in this episode. First, though, please remember to subscribe to this podcast wherever you are consuming it. If you're watching us on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, like, comment, all those things help us out a ton, and it would mean very much to me if you hit subscribe. If this is the first time listening to us on the podcast player, Spotify, Google, Apple, what Stitcher, wherever, hit that permanent subscription button, download every episode. If you've done all those things already, ratings and reviews help a ton on whatever podcast player you have access to, Apple especially, but as well as Spotify, and word of mouth. Help retweet our promos, tell people about us. Uh, tag us in you know those solicitations for podcast recommendations. Anything you can do to help me continue to grow what is an awesome community. And finally, but not least importantly, uh, join our Discord. The link to that is in the podcast description as well as the YouTube description. And the social handles are in the podcast and YouTube descriptions as well. With all of that out of the way, let's dive right into this. Uh, I'm taking a chance and recording this like in the morning of a Sunday so that I can get a bunch of other shit done. And since we have so many, you know, it's a Donovan, it's three questions and they're related to Donovan Mitchell, the Jazz, and also Kevin Durant. So talk about questions that could technically blow up. They come from Robert Fletcher, who was nice enough to email them. Shout out, Robert. Uh, first question, do you think the fact that the All-Star game is in SLC next year is playing any role in the Mitchell trade discussions? I would say no, just because at this point, uh, you've already traded Rudy Gobert. And by doing that, you've kind of ensured that there's going to be a deviation of national focus on you. And I think part of being an all-star is capturing the attention of, of the voters. And I just don't think this wouldn't be an insult if Donovan Mitchell uh, played at an all-star caliber level. He's perfectly capable of doing that. We've seen it already. Uh, would enough people be watching the Jazz to say that? Or are they going to go the route of, well, you know, what if the Thunder have a better record, for instance? Shea Gilchrist-Alexander is contributing to more winning. Or you know, Steph Curry and Damian Lillard are contributing to more winning. The other thing that I think you can't um, factor in here is that Donovan Mitchell is guaranteed to be an All-Star. Even if we, let's just assume that enough people are watching the Jazz, that the voters aren't going to um, stigmatize Utah probably not being good or all that great. At the very least right now, their roster, or at most, I should say, is like a play-in team at best. They're not, they're certainly not a title contender. Uh, can you guarantee that Mitchell just, even if everything's fair, is going to make the All-Star game over just uh, the smattering of other guards in the Western Conference? When you look at Luka Doncic qualifying as a point guard, will people be allowed to vote LeBron James in there as a point guard this year? Uh, there's also then Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, Shea Gilgis-Alexander is a guard. Jamal Murray's going to be back this year. Will he play enough? Maybe not. Devin Booker, Chris Paul. There are just so many talented guards uh, in the, the the Western Conference specifically that I don't think, you know, if you're a, and I would say this about Shea Gilgis-Alexander too, if the game was in OKC, like you can't guarantee that your player is going to be in there. Uh, would voters gravitate towards them because their team is the host? Sure. Now that being said, if you are Utah, um, if you're the front office, if you're if you're Danny Ainge, if, if you're if you're the team owner, if you're Ryan Smith, you know, you're OK maybe having Donovan Mitchell because it would give you sort of um, that representative in Utah that you can't guarantee. Do we even know if they're going to have anyone in the Rising Stars game if it's not Donovan Mitchell? Do they have any three point as of right now in their roster three point contest candidates? I don't think they have a dunk contest candidate. Maybe Donovan Mitchell himself might be the best uh, chance there. So you're maybe you're more OK with keeping. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, because if you have him here, one, 
are the best offers right now going to go anywhere in the next year if Donovan Mitchell is healthy? And the answer is no, uh, because he still has two more years left on a deal before he can hit free agency after that. Um, and the other thing to factor in then too is just that, okay, if the offers aren't up to snuff, maybe that gives us in, uh, it emboldens us, and I'm speaking as the Jazz, to keep this asking price where it is, where if we want five first-round picks and actual young players from the Knicks or other teams, we're not going to move it down because we're comfortable with the time left on Donovan Mitchell's deal. And there's also just that, um, I would call it a small incentive to just having the player in Utah where the All-Star game is going to be. But if, if you're the Jazz specifically, uh, I don't think Donovan Mitchell necessarily ruins your rebuild by helping you win too many games. But I think you want to get away from the specter of this next era that is looming over you because if Donovan Mitchell's on your team all of next season, uh, there's just going to be a lot of, will they, won't they, when, when are they? And that's going to dominate the discourse around Utah rather than being able to take a uh, foot forward and figure out what direction you're headed in. That's not to say, I think the jazz should trade Donovan Mitchell for whatever. I think they can be absolutely comfortable going into next season with him. I, I really do think that they're going to have more leverage um, than any team that they're negotiating with. And you could argue right now that the Knicks have more leverage than anyone because they're like second best or third best offer realistically might just be better than any other team's top offer. Um, so that does give them some added leverage, but as the jazz, you have time to wait this out. And again, there's maybe the small benefit of, Oh, okay. We have uh, Donovan Mitchell on the roster. He is an all-star player uh, to have him on our team when the game's going to be in Utah. But I don't think you don't delay this decision. And I think you've already sort of shown that you won't if the right offer comes along by moving Gobert in the first place. Robert also asked, at this point, do you think it's more likely the Jazz are going to keep Mitchell into the season and look to trade him around the trade deadline? Uh, also, if they do plan on keeping him, what other roster moves would you anticipate? So the first part of this question first, which we sort of stepped in, on the toes of in the answer to the, the trade discussion ones centered on the All-Star game, centered around, excuse me. Uh, I, I, I don't, I honestly don't know. My guess would be that this trade with the Knicks is just going to get done because this feels just like such a no-brainer trade. Uh, maybe it's a matter of the Jazz acquiescing a little bit or are the, you know, maybe the Knicks are giving so many first round picks, but perhaps they're not all their own since they have the the Washington, Detroit, and uh, Milwaukee Bucks first rounders, uh, as well as the Dallas first rounder. So maybe they're just including a way more picks than we're thinking, but they've saved a little of theirs, perhaps on the front end or on the back end, however they're able to figure it out. So my, my bet would be, if I had to bet, which thank God I don't because I don't want to on this, would be that they're going to move Donovan Mitchell. Um, I did make the case that maybe you should keep him in to the season because would that open up? I did previously make the case. I should say, would that open up a list of other trade suitors who the season doesn't go according to plan? And then they're more likely to throw their all in offer on the table or enter the sweepstakes at all. If they're not currently involved, you can even frame this around the Knicks too. If they, after getting Jalen Brunson, um, being so heavily tied to Donovan Mitchell, if they start off the season, like four and seven, or something, there's going to be clamorings throughout that organization to get a deal done. And so do you ultimately get more out of them by waiting uh, out the, let's call it the awkwardness? And we know it's inevitable that Don Mitchell gets moved, but do you try and wait out this this awkwardness to drum up more from the Knicks or, again, to increase the, um, the scope of your suitors? Now, when you go through teams that might fall under that umbrella, that's where things get difficult. I don't know that, look, I'm sure Miami's best offer is probably on the table. Uh, and so you're not, you can't physically get more out of them unless they're acquiring additional first round picks somehow. What is the team that's going to get off to a weird start 
Uh, could it be Cleveland? Well, then maybe all of a sudden they're looking at, okay, they're not going to move Darius Garland. They won't move Evan Mobley. Is basically every one and everything else left. Um, will they put them and, and additional first round picks on the table? That could be something to look for. Uh, does something happen in Memphis? I hate the Mitchell John Morant pairing, even if Memphis wanted to operate with urgency. Uh, some people have mentioned the Pelicans. I don't really just buy that. They have CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson already. I don't think they need Donovan Mitchell there. OKC is not going to operate with urgency. Is there, let's, is Orlando going to be like better than expected 20 games into the season? They decide, well, maybe we should fucking go for it. And Paolo Bancaro, um, you know, we're not moving him, but everyone else pretty much is available. Maybe they were making Franz Wagner untouchable or, or Jalen Suggs, one of the other two, but they could certainly build attractive offers. A team like the Kings, no, they're not going to get involved. Maybe Washington might be more motivated to do something if they start the season even better or worse than expected because if they're better, they could view making this big push in the East as more attainable than before. And if they're not, if they if they start poorly, well, we just paid Bradley Beal. Like, we have to at least, we're obligated to try and go for it now. I do think that if they can negotiate around that first-round pick that's owed to New York, which is difficult because New York isn't going to unprotect that pick willy-nilly. If you're the Wizards, though, or you're the Jazz, and you're looking at it like, okay, that protection, it's going to convey no later than 2024. Let's just say that. Uh, then you can build out offers from that afterwards. Uh, it's top 12 protected next year. So if the Wizards are really good, maybe the Jazz can look at it and say, well, yeah, they can conditionally trade us 25, 27, and 29. They all need to turn into second rounders if they don't convey, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but we think it's going to convey. And so at worst, maybe they're missing out on that first first round pick in 25. But in 27, 29, um, they know that they're going to get those picks uh, in all likelihood. So that is a team that I could see maybe upping the ante there. I don't like it's it's hard to spot anyone else. Maybe Charlotte gets more heavily involved. I don't think Chicago like would be right. Dallas can say they want to get more involved if they start off the season really poorly, but they just don't like their best offer is not great. They could, if they put every pick on the table in the future, sure, 25, 27, 29, they can do all the swaps that they want to. Maybe that's semi attractive, but just looking at they don't have any blue chip young players to send out aside from Luka Doncic, obviously. And if you're Utah, like you don't even want, I guess you could want to flip them for other value, but like if you're able to get, as an example, Wood and Maxi Klebo or even Dorian Finney-Smith, as like what what long-term value do those players hold to your rebuild? If you're rerouting them to third and fourth teams and you're getting more first-round equity for that and you've just decided, hey, we don't need like a tangible youngster. We're just, we're going to, fucking just load up on picks, picks and picks and picks, get as many bites of the draft apple and also the trade apple as we can. Uh, I could see that. So those are just some teams to maybe keep an eye on there. Uh, but if the Jazz decide to keep Mitchell, you're looking at the rest of the roster. I, I think they're going to need to do something to probably address the front court rotation a little bit better. I don't know if that comes in the form of, do they sign one of the afterthought three agents at the moment? Are they making a trade with one of their many guards? It's going to be a combination, I think, of, of the two, of they're going to move another guard um, and maybe there's a big coming back because that just, you know, right now having Walker Kessler, uh, I guess Jared Vanderbilt, like, okay, that's fine. And if you still believe in uh Udoka Azubuki, okay. You could play small with Rudy Gay. Like that's just, that's uninspiring stuff for the most part. So I would expect them to upgrade somewhere in the front court while also sort of diluting the, the guard situation. And I think what's important here is that if they're keeping Mitchell, uh, we could discuss the route of would they consider like if he says all of a sudden he wants to stay forever and ever and ever uh, would they consider like moving forward with him? Then we can talk about like 
actual names, but if you're going to keep Mitchell into next season or even through next season, I don't think your direction has changed. You're still trying to rebuild. And so you're not going to go out and like, you're not going to be a team that tries to go out and acquire a, a win. Now. Like you're not going to go out and try and acquire John Collins right now. So like you could maybe do something like that straddles the line between if it seems like Jay Crowder might be unhappy in Phoenix. Um, is there something to be built around like Boyan Bogdanovich for uh, Jay Crowder and then Dario Saric? Like that could be a deal to look at just because that's a defensive downgrade for Phoenix, but it's definitely an offensive upgrade and they need their third best player to be a better self creator. And uh, I, I call it an outside in creator. And I don't know that Boyan Bogdanovich checks that box. He's not giving you a ton of rim pressure, but he gives you shooting and a little bit of self creation. That's going to be more than Deandre Ayton. Probably. So I wouldn't say Boyan Madonovich is their third best player, but he would probably be their third best offensive player or just very close to DeAndre Ayton in, in that vein. I mean, look, it's tough because DeAndre Ayton is just so good in his offensive role. And we can't let how the Sun season ended or how negotiations went with him sort of taint our view there. My point is, if you're looking for a way to diversify and juice up the offense, I mean, Boyan Madonovich at the four would be interesting. I think you'd probably prefer to keep Jay Crowder still in that instance, but if you're Utah, yeah, you want Cam Johnson, even though he's extension eligible, you're not getting him for Boyan Madonovich. And so maybe there's like, that's the move to look at to where you've balanced out your roster, um, but you haven't traded any long-term assets because Boyan Madonovich is on an expiring contract. I could see making a move along those lines and you have Sarge to play some four. And he's also played a lot of small ball five before his ACL injury, but I would still expect them to look at, okay, well, what are we doing with Beverly? Uh, what are we doing with Conley, Boyan Madonovich, Malik Beasley, Jordan Clarkson? Uh, I think all those names. And I would say if Donovan Mitchell stays in the next season, I would think at least one of those guys gets moved, uh, if not more than one of them. And look, a lot of this stuff with Donovan Mitchell might just be held up by the Kevin Durant stuff. Um, there are teams that could enter the fray. Like, let's just say Toronto after Kevin Durant has moved. If they miss that boat. Uh, maybe they enter the favorite Donovan Mitchell. Or maybe Donovan Mitchell's moved as part of this mega Kevin Durant trade where Kevin Durant's not going to Utah, but... Is is it because the 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 byproduct of a Kevin Durant trade is the Nets are moving Kyrie Irving, and so they're sending him to the Lakers. The Jazz get involved to take on picks to take on Russell Westbrook. They're sending Donovan Mitchell to another team, or are they sending Donovan Mitchell to Brooklyn itself? Which you would have to um, figure that out because he and Ben Simmons cannot be on the same team. It'd be bigger, bigger, bigger. I'm just saying business for Donovan Mitchell is probably being held up at least to some extent outside of the Knicks front office anyway by what's happening with Kevin Durant. So if they are going to keep Donovan Mitchell, I think the move is let's, um, you know, let's sort of truncate this guard rotation and see if we can just get some, some front court help. And it could be, you could skew younger and try and take a flyer on like, is there a, but there are like no like young for, could you get PJ Washington in Utah? Sure. But like, what is the, the opportunity cost of that going to be? And also kind of like, what's the point? Uh, it'd be cool to get on Yeka Kangu from, Atlanta, but like, what are you giving up to get him? Atlanta views him as a player that's going to help them win now. So, but that's that's the route you would go, and you can you can if you want to still field a competitive team, I guess, to be interesting. Uh, but at the same time, like, there's value in your pick. I don't think Donovan Mitchell ruins your your rebuild, but like, you're going to have the, there's value in your pick being as bad as possible. Is my point. So uh, this season, I guess, it technically doesn't matter because they own it outright. Whereas in 2024. It's top 10 protected, so you don't want to be too good when you're looking at the obligation to OKC. Uh, that being said, you want to get this thing started right away, and I don't think that changes with or without uh, with Donovan Mitchell staying in the fold for another year. The final question from Robert. In the wake of the KD ultimatum, it really feels like Nash is out of a job regardless of what happens. If he's ultimately let go, who would you expect as his replacement? 
do you think Quinn Snyder would consider Brooklyn uh, his next coaching stop? That's interesting. Uh, so do I think Steve Nash is out of a job regardless? If Kevin Durant stays, yes. Uh, if he doesn't, I think they're probably going to be more inclined to just, I think it depends on their direction. They've made it very clear uh, as so far that they want to uh, get back a player who helps them win now in a Kevin Durant trade. And that makes some sense because of how much of their draft future is mortgaged to Houston right now. Uh, but they want picks and players because they want to compete. They still have Ben Simmons. Uh, I don't know what they're going to get. Maybe they're just figuring on, well, we'll get picks for Kyrie if we move him to the Lakers or whatever. Uh, so I, I think they would still let it play out with Nash should KD get moved. Um, you're only getting rid of Nash, I think, at this point, if you never wanted him to begin with. If you're Joe Sy and Sean Marks and it was just fully that that uh, bandwagon was completely driven by KD and Kyrie. Um, but now that KD doesn't want him anymore, like, how, you know, I, I don't – and he looped him and Sean Mar Marks together. And we know that Sean Marks and Steve Nash have, have somewhat of a history. But I think that people are really underestimating the extent to which Kevin Durant played a role in Steve Nash coming on the Nets radar. I don't – he's not only to blame. There's so much blame to, to go around here with the organization, with the players. So. I, I would, I'm not sure putting it all on KD, but like we can't, he's not Teflon in this either. Like he fucked up a ton uh, and he has not proved to be, look, this is why I wouldn't fire. This is my, my, I don't want to get into this too much, but like I wouldn't fire Sean Marks and Steve Nash just to keep Kevin Durant at this point, because one, I'm not even sure if he wants to actually stay or is this just a ploy because he knows the Nets aren't going to give into it and he wants to accelerate the trade sweepstakes. But two, it was just like, well, should we trust Kevin Durant's judgment as the, quasi operator of a team where he wanted DeAndre Jordan on the roster. Uh, he wanted the Nets to go all in on James Harden and then couldn't figure out a way to keep James Harden in Brooklyn or figure out a way for Kyrie to get, you know, be more involved with the team so that James Harden might want to stay in Brooklyn. Uh, and then now he wanted a coach and he's going to want him fired. He also talked about the research um, that he did on Kenny Atkinson before he signed in Brooklyn. He was intrigued, but then Kenny Atkinson was forced out basically the minute that KD and was fully healthy and, and able to play there. So that's why I'm not fine. I'm not putting this all on KD, but he has not shown like as someone with a, a, a primary voice in the organization, like Joe Sy, Sean Marks and Kevin Rand, if this was actually a collaborative effort, uh, he's going to deserve equal, if not more of the blame based off some of the decisions that were made specifically the Deandre Jordan one. But I look, the Nets fucked up there too. They never should have allowed that to be a condition or you at least don't let him start for so long over Jared Allen. So this is all to say that if Kevin Durant is still in Brooklyn, though, I would probably hazard that it's because you got rid of at least Steve Nash, if not both him and Sean Marks. Or maybe you just don't care about the awkwardness. So you're going to keep Steve Nash in general. Do I think Quinn Snyder would consider Brooklyn? I think he's smart enough not to touch this with a 100-foot pole because this is combustible. Kyrie's going to be a free agent after this season. Uh, this season. Is he just going to leave given how contentious contract talks were? I would absolutely predict that unless they figure out a way to extend him or they're willing to, to max him out. Uh, and then also just, we don't know if Kevin Rand actually wants to be there. If you are allowing him to handpick the next coach, then okay, maybe that changes things. So I couldn't even reasonably throw names out here. Uh, just like, should we just put Rich Kleiman into the, uh, the, the, the GM job? If Sean Marks gets fired, like, is that the level of control that KD wants or the level of say that he wants in the organization. So I can't even throw names out there because we don't also know Brooklyn's direction. If Nash gets fired now, if Nash gets fired and it's to keep Kevin Rand and Kyrie, 
and they're committed and the organization's committed to them, then maybe you could enter the fold for the Quinn Snyders, the, the Mike D'Antoni, if he's sort of hovering around out there. If you're not operating under the assumption that either of those players will be there, I think you keep Nash. And if you're not going to keep Nash at that point, um, I honestly don't know what the argument would be to get rid of him if you do move Kyrie and KD. See what he could do with the roster and then also get a feel for what's going to be in the market. Uh, what's going to be in the market leading into next season when you kind of have a better idea of what your return was on the Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving trades in the first place. And that might be the other thing is if if Kyrie and Katie aren't going to be there, we need to see what the Nets roster looks like before we like decide whether Steve Nash would be there. Maybe Steve Nash doesn't want to be there where he's like, I don't, I don't need this shit. Uh, I didn't need this shit in the first place. Why'd I even take this job? Yada, yada, yada. Um, and the other thing is just like, if you get rid of Kyrie and KD, does that make the Nets more attractive to prospective coaching candidates? Because they know that they're probably going to get more leeway, more runway to actually build up the team. And so that might make it more attractive to someone like Quinn Snyder. I think a lot of people believe that he's just going to be next in line in San Antonio at this point, uh, and that he's taking a gap year here until that spot opens up. It's possible. But I would argue that to an established name, unless you're throwing just ungodly sums of money at them, but to an established name where you have some leverage in talks, you know that you'll be sought after regardless in other um, coaching areas. Like you could probably feel more comfortable with KD not being in Brooklyn because it shows that they're going to at least, even if they want to win soonish, they're going to give you some graduality there. They're going to give you a, you know, you're going to be graded on a developmental curve uh, just because there's so many what ifs outside of this. What does Ben Simmons look like? How many games does he play? What's up with the back? What's his fit with the roster? So, I, if I had to predict who's more likely to be on the Nets to to start with the Nets to start the season, KD or Nash, I'm probably going to take Nash uh, because it really, to me, just feels like KD wants out of Brooklyn at this point. That's where that's where I'm certainly at with that. Uh, it just feels like I would not go as far as saying that it feels like Nash is out of a job, regardless. Though I don't know that we have enough of a sample size uh, to with a full strength roster to draw any sweeping conclusions about him, but. Yeah, if KD is going to come back and like you've made the conscious decision to try and make this work, it probably does make sense to get rid of Nash at this point. Uh, thank you for the questions, Robert. Let's move on to we have a couple from uh, some YouTube friends. So EELI asks, My question is, who do you think will be the starting four and five in Detroit amongst Olenek, MB3, Duran, Beef Stew, and Nerlens Noel? Uh, so, and there's two questions here. I'll get, get to the first one. Um, We'll get to the first one first, obviously, in case no one caught that. So for the Pistons, I think so. We, we know who's going to be like the th the three starters that are locked down at this point is you have um you have Cade, you have Jaden Ivy. It's so like you know those are going to be I guess your if you want to call it a starting backcourt, and then you have I guess Sadiq Bay would be the guy that we just assume is also going to be in there because he's been such a starter. You could maybe justify it by trying to make him be the uh the three, but. I think a lot of people believe it's going to be like Stu and Bagley and that Duran won't start right away. I would advocate for Stu and Isaiah Livers actually, because I don't think this team is surrounded Cade and Jade and Ivy too, with enough shooting, uh, nearly enough shooting, I would say. And so I'm going to try and roll out as much shooting as possible in that starting five Bagley and Stu together to me would be a disaster. Isaiah Livers showed a lot in summer league and he's not afraid to, to get those shots up. And so I think I would start him stew and then i would go with bay ivy and and cade i i'm not opposed to starting Durin. i just feel like this is a team that's going to prefer that 
he come off the bench to start his career. I will say I'll be fairly shocked if Nerlens Noel is starting um, just because I don't know how much they're really invested in Nerlens Noel succeeding. And so I'd rank him as the least likely to start of anyone that, that we just mentioned even more so than a Linux. Um, also maybe you have Alec Burks as your starting three, two, and then do you just put Bay at the four? Uh, but if, if we're choosing from these players, I know Livers wasn't on your list, Lee. Uh, I would start Livers and Beef Stew as my front court. I might even start Livers and Duran because I would just go full. Like, I know Stew is not old and, and he's good. Like, I, I really think that he's underrated on defense specifically, but I I don't want to see Bagley and Stew play. I don't want to see Bagley at the four with another big. I guess it's a little different if you decide to play him with Olenek, but I don't really know that I want to see the defense of a Bagley Olenek. Uh, front court. So I would go with Isaiah Livers and Beef Stew with an honorable mention to Isaiah Livers and Jalen Duran with Jay and Ivy and Kate Cunningham. Just need to start. I want to see that. Second question from uh, Lee. Who do you see in free agency next season being a good fit with the Pistons? Uh, that is an interesting question. I think you need to look at like, what do you think they need long-term still? And it's probably if you think they drafted their center of the future and then their point guards or backcourt of the future in um, Cade Cunningham and, and Javen I Ivy, you're looking at the long-term three and four spots. Now, is Bay uh, in the conversation to be a, a long-term keeper? Absolutely. I would say that they might view him as a, a long-term guy uh, more than not. So you just go with someone who I guess can operate well off of him. Um, and if you're going to have maybe, I think I, I my the spreadsheet I'm looking at will have them at almost $60 million in cap space. You can kind of, I'm not going to say have your, uh, your pick of the litter, but you can go a lot of different directions. I still think um, what you ultimately should do is probably skew younger when you're going to target these free agents because you're not going to be at the... Uh, you're not going, I mean, maybe, maybe uh, I shouldn't say that because maybe they shock us and they're just really good this season. So you could um, talk yourself into going after someone more veteran. Like if Andrew Wiggins hits the open market, uh, if, if Harrison Barnes is there, are you good enough to, to go that route? I would be interested in Kyle Kuzma for this team. Uh, if you like Jay Crowder, uh, like just to get a veteran presence in there. What what could be interesting if you really wanted to go sort of the the younger route though, um, if let's just say he has a good year and stays healthy and hits restricted free agency because he hasn't agreed an extension with Atlanta, like are you one of the teams that maybe throws an offer sheet at uh, DeAndre Hunter? That could be certainly something that would be worth taking a look at. Uh, maybe depending on how Cam Reddish plays in New York this season and he enters restricted free agency, do you take a look at him? I would not. I want to make that clear. I would not prioritize him. I'm just trying to think of restricted free agents from um, for 2023. But I like the idea of like, is Wiggins, do you consider him young enough? He'll be having wrapped up his age 28 season, I believe, uh, or he's, he's 28 and a half right now. So maybe that'll be his age 29 season. I should double check that. So I don't know, and also cost. I don't think you need to overpay anyone. So yeah, he's about to, oh, excuse me. He's about to play out his age 27 season. So he's younger than I actually thought. So maybe he's a name that you uh, that you could look at there. Um, I don't like RJ Barrett with this team. That's another restricted free agent that jumps off the page. Cameron Johnson would be fun if he enters restricted free agency. You have him and Duran as your four or five with Bay. That's something that could totally work. So you could certainly take a look at him uh, maybe as someone who's like a poor man's Cam Johnson, you look at uh, PJ Washington, uh, Grant Williams as well. He'd be a lot. He's a lot better than Johnson or uh, PJ Washington on the defensive end too. 
Um, that type of name, though, I don't think that you need to go spend like a buku bucks. Now, if you want like a building block type wing or someone who's going to maybe elevate your status a little bit more, then yeah, like if we're, if we're talking about small forward specifically, like a true three, maybe with someone who has the potential to uh, play the four, Andrew Wiggins comes to mind. I would probably steer clear uh, of a reunion with Chris Middleton insofar as that's really possible. I like the idea of Kelly Oubre Jr. just because they could get out and run with him, but I just don't, I don't really like the, I want to see more shooting. And so that's where Andrew Wiggins would kind of um, make sense there. But yeah, those are names that spring to mind. You could also just take the flyers or players who really, you know, if TJ Warren stays healthy and balls out in Brooklyn, we know they don't have his bird rights. Can't keep him. You just take a look at him. And so I still think you're, you're in flyer mode, but if you wanted to go the all in route, I would keep an eye on someone like a Hunter and Andrew Wiggins, um, like those would be names because the Pistons have so much cap space. And if they, let's say they're bringing in another high draft pick, they anticipate being good. I think they still need like wing depth and wing shooting specifically on this roster. So you could take a look at those names, even Harrison Barnes, if you're committed to playing him more at the four than the three and you have Sadiq Bay there still. So those are some names that spring to mind for me. Thank you for those uh, questions, Lee. We have, I believe another one on YouTube. If there was any, this is from Nathan Stock. If there was any team to get relocated in the future, cough, Kings, cough, which one seems most likely bonus? What would be your personal favorite locations for expansion teams? And what seems most likely? So I don't, I don't know what team would get relocated. It's probably the Pelicans and like the Kings fan base is too like rapidly supportive in a great way or, or engaged. I should say, because a lot of them are critical of the Kings organization. Uh, I don't want any, I want to make this clear. I don't want any market to lose their, their franchise. So I, I would just be devastated for the fans. I'm more about expansion rather than relocation. So I wouldn't even hazard to answer this question. I will say that it feels like maybe it would be new Orleans. Maybe I'm just, you know, too, I'm being hashtag national analyst and reading too much in the market. Uh, but that would be my pick. If there was going to be a relocation again, I don't think there should be. I don't think new Orleans. I definitely don't think people have named Memphis in the past. I don't think Sacramento. Those are not markets that should lose their franchises. It's not, you know, Kings fans fault. It's not the market's fault that the Kings front office has by and large been fucking awful over the past couple of decades. My personal favorite market to put in expansion team, just because I would want to cover them there uh, is San Diego, just full stop. And then all of a sudden it's, Oh, is Kawhi going to go there? Um, but realistically, I just, I think it's going to end up being Vegas at this point, Vegas or Seattle. I hope, of the two, I prefer to see Seattle first, but if you're going to expand, I feel like we're going to get two franchises at once at this stage. So it would be Las Vegas and Seattle for me. And I don't, I would just love to see a franchise in San Diego so I could go there. That is the selfish answer. I don't think it's necessarily the right answer. I want to make that ab abundantly clear. Um, and the right answer should probably Seattle. That market deserves a franchise. So Vegas and Seattle, I think, are the, uh, most likely. After that, I honestly don't know. Uh, is it West Virginia, New Mexico? Maybe. Like, I don't know where San Diego really falls on that list. It's probably not anywhere close to where I'd want it to be, though, just because I would like to make the trek uh, out to San Diego. Or Bleacher Report could just open up some corporate headquarters. Maybe Hardware Knox needs to open up. I'm going to LLC Hardware Knox, then we're going to open up a headquarters in San Diego. So just selfishly so that I could travel there. I don't want to live there because it's really expensive, although I live in one of the most expensive parts of the country anyway. So, yeah. We're going to open up a corporate headquarters in San Diego for Hardware Knox, and I'm going to move there. That is the dream. It'll be a lot easier to justify said dream or actualize it, I should say, if there is a uh, team in San Diego. Let's get to this. Uh, this will be the last. This is the last question I have banked. Uh, so it comes from 
uh, on Twitter, Tybal's wingspan. Uh, so this question was interesting. And I had to ask people around the league who cover the league, friends of mine as well about this. Uh, so the question is, so on Danny LaRue's pod, Real GM pod, he was going through pros and cons of the Knicks roster and listed a few of those cons. But one of those cons was, and then you combine that with having a million different left-handed people. And he said so. He said it so confidently that I had to wonder if that was true. Are righties more valuable than lefties and why? So I asked people about this. I also went and listened to that podcast. He did basically, Danny LaRue did say this, and I have no doubt that uh, Danny LaRue is plugged in and knows his shit. Um, I did ask multiple people, though, like who cover the league, coach. Like I asked people, like plugged in people, not like a GMs and stuff. I'm not, I'm not plugged into that step, but I asked people I trust. Smart basketball people is the best way to frame it. And they don't understand why this would be a thing. Um, collectively, I think the best... So a, a lot of the answers I got were lefties um, give you more mismatches because they're like idiosyncratic basically on offense. Uh, and so it makes them more difficult to cover. And you look at... you know There are players who have talked about... Left-handed players say they feel they're more difficult to cover. And then there are defenders that say it's a little bit harder to contest a shot. Um, I think what LaRue was getting at, I think he kind of mentioned this as well, is that Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle specifically like to have plays run for them on a specific side of the floor. Now, players are going to be used to playing on opposite ends of the court, but if you're displacing one another or you're stacking the court too far to that end, and then you're also kind of dealing with the fact that RJ Barrett's on the floor, maybe that's not a big deal because RJ is so comfortable, I think, operating um, to the right. But like, I guess there could be some issue with that. Uh, I really don't see like that being detrimental maybe that's more a comment on just the talent in new york where it's okay they have all these left-handers but do we trust any of them to be able to adapt uh, as much and i think the bigger thing here when you look at the knicks is that barrett based off how he played last season brunson and randall all prefer to operate inside the arc i think barrett is the most comfortable operating beyond the arc of all three just because he has so much experience as a set shooter and jalen brunson will take set threes and we've seen Julius Randle will take off the dribble threes. And this past season, they did not go in. Uh, but that's not the strong suit at this point for any of them. And RJ probably comes close as a set shooter, but just like the pressure he put on the rim, they put the ball in his hands. So you're probably worried just about all three of them, among others on this team, wanting to occupy too much of the same space. Does that unnecessarily clump up your offense? I don't know that I view it as a downside, but it's certainly something I guess to watch for. If you believe that Brunson and Randall are so uh, there's a rigidity to where they want from where they want to operate. Uh, I guess something to watch, not something I can say that I thought about. It was a fascinating question. Uh, and so I'll look, I'll defer to Danny LaRue who's smarter, way smarter uh, than I am, but I, it's not something I considered, but I do look at the Knicks offense overall and see that, oh, there isn't enough shooting. There's a lot of guys that like to occupy the same space. But I would just wonder if if you're running too many plays on one side of the court, are other players who are left-handed, are they going to feel out of place? But like that's an existence they have to deal with anyway if you're you're having right-handers. like You're all not going to be able to... They're going to have to play on, on opposite ends. But I guess because of that, you're going to be more comfortable where you're actually standing. So is there going to be a discomfort level there with the left-handers on the Knicks roster? Are we going to see... like? left-handed lineup staggering where there's no more than two lefties on the court at the same time for New York. I, I don't know. Uh, realistically, no, because you, right now you have three lefties. Uh, I think three lefties projected to be in your starting five. So that's just not something that you're going to be able to, uh, um, to get around. And also I think I forgot. This is Evan Fournier left. No, he's a righty. I just looked this up. That's why I'm stuttering. So, 
yeah, that I just, I never thought about it, but I do think that's the rationale is that you're worried about having too many players who already like to occupy sort of the same space, like inside the arc. But now we're also sort of like narrowing that down even further to the side of the court from which they like to um, generate their touches from. And that could really, you know, make things clunky. Uh, this was a fun quick by our standards mailbag. Thank you everyone for the questions this past week. Uh, beginning, if you're listening to this on Monday, the 15th, we begin our division uh, division by division off-season grades. I tried to wait for Kevin Durant and Donovan Mitchell. I can't do it anymore. Like We just need to get these out and we'll, re we'll react to those trades if and when they happen. I might try and push back the Northwest and Atlantic division uh, grades just a little bit, but probably not at this point. So those will be rolling out. Uh, we'll have four for you through this week, and then we'll have the other two either Monday, Tuesday of next week, or it might be Tuesday, Wednesday, if I just want to put out a different sort of pod to change up the pace. And finally, just a housekeeping note for people who make it to the end. I will be traveling a couple times during this offseason. I'm going to try and pre-plan some content. Um, you all have been great about consuming it. And I know a lot of people have said they appreciate that we're putting out content during this time of the year. So I, I want to make uh, I want to make sure that, um, uh, that I'm continuing to put out uh, content during this time for you all. I like producing content. Um, I... Look, it's going to help me, I guess, stay up on the game. But I will be traveling, so I don't know what the volume is going to be like. I can guarantee you that um, one of the times I'm traveling for four days at the end of August, I think, uh, that's not a leisure trip, unfortunately. And then I'm taking my, I will call it much needed. I'm going to try and unplug um, at the beginning of September, uh, kind of just like, I think it's September 8th to 20th before we really start to ramp up is when I'll be gone. I'll try and have content planned, but if I'm not as responsive as normal in Discord on YouTube and you've listened this far. Uh, that is going to be the reason why. Until next time, though, and as always, one, remember to subscribe, but two, I leave you with a shout-out to one, the only, Frank Nielakina.